Well, how's your summer going? Uh, hope you're getting everything done you want to get done and accomplish everything you want to accomplish and do all the things you want to out in nature that you want to do. Um, I, I started yesterday uh, our old barbecue grill. I think I mentioned last week, maybe it was this in the service, this service or the second service. I can't remember which, but I, our old barbecue grill died, and, and uh, so I went out and bought a new one. And the vision of that, of course, like there, there's a vision of cooking food, like they, they, they promote it so nice, like the, the pictures of the barbecue, everything's perfect and that's never going to be us, but, you know, but the food, right, for food, but the vision is for fellowship, to get people together, to enjoy one another, to, to build one another up kind of deal. So there's, there's this, the food thing, but then there's the vision thing, right? Uh, <clears throat> I, I started putting that together uh, yesterday. Uh, I can, you know, I've been studying this, this, uh, this, this whole topic of sex and sexuality, and you can only do that so long. You need an outlet, right? So I, so I started putting this barbecued grill together. And, uh, you, know, I, I, you know, I'm in my 50s now, and I, sometimes I think I know what I'm doing. And, like, I don't need directions. I don't need any instructions kind of deal. But then it got, it got pretty much put together, and then I realized I put the bottom panel upside down. And I made it fit, but it just wasn't right. <laughs> it was going to be dangerous, it, you know, the... You know, it, it just, it, so I had to take it apart, and so it's sitting there halfway done in my garage right now. You know, uh, the, the, the vision that we have for, for our lives, the, the, where do we want to take it, what, what are the outcomes we want to see, what, what, what future do we want to have, you know, good, good futures, good outcomes, God's blessing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that, that, that analogy of a barbecue, you know, once you, once you stop using, looking at the instructions, what's it for, what, what's the outcome going to be? You know, if you, if, you, if you don't, the designers, the instructions, if you don't li- abide by them, if you don't live in them, if you don't walk in them, you know, it, it could come back to bite you. It could, it could turn out bad. So we come to this uh, sex and sexuality sermon series and we ask, you know, what, what are the designers' instructions? How should we be sexually? What is God's will for sex? What is God's will for our sexuality? How shall we live? Uh, it, it's a massive deal because uh, the outcomes that are going to happen if we do it wrong. Uh, what's, but what, what's God's vision for this whole, this whole enfleshment, this whole body thing, this whole sexuality thing? What, what's, his, what's His plans? What is His purposes? We started running down that road last week a little bit, and, and we, we looked at some texts, and if, if you are taking notes today, I, I'm not going to go into them, but uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28 uh, we started there, and we talked about the image of God. We're all made in the image of God, the likeness of God, to reflect God, to, to, to show the world, show the universe what God's like. And He's made us male and female. He, he's sexualized us in, in the binary, in the gender, the, the, the sexual being of male and female. Uh, and then we looked at, at Genesis chapter 2. Uh, we went 15 through through 25, I think, is where we went last week. Um, this whole idea of male and female to, to do what? To, to be united. This, 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 this picture of marriage came across in Genesis 2.24. Man shall leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Uh, it, it's this, this, this mystery of God creating us embodied, you know, he's created us sexual. He could have made us asexual. Uh, he's, he's made us not only to be united as one, to become this new organism, as it were, but he's made us to be able to create life. And there's some great wonder there, and there's some great mystery there, and there's some, some great incredible depth there to what it means to be human. 
Um, Jesus, uh, as, you know, as the culture went on, as life went on, the beginning of, of creation, perfect, without sin, but sin came and brokenness came and evil came. And, and God's original design, his, his instructions for life, you know, this, this male and female coming together union and, and sex uh, as the glue, as, as the bonding, the sex made for pleasure in the context of a marriage, in the context of bringing forth life, to create a bunch of images of God to fill the earth, to accomplish God's purposes, to God's glory. Uh, these things got twisted and turned around and turned upside down and uh, started living by the flesh, the fallen side of us and the broken side of us. And, and we've taken the design that God's made and we're putting things upside down, we're turning things wrong side up and, and doesn't fit together and there's a mess and there's chaos and, and brokenness in this life. Uh, and and we, you ask the question, does God care who I sleep with? Does God care about my sexuality? It seems such a small thing, but it's not. Because it's tied in something bigger. That, that one part that I put wrong in that, that barbecue, you know, it, it, it would have caused it not to fulfill its, vision, its purpose, what the designers made it for and what we hoped would happen. Uh, we, we get sex out of order. We get sex out of alignment. We, we, we get sex wrong. And, and it's just the outcome that God wants to see, what He's pointing, what He planned, and what He purposed, it doesn't, doesn't happen. So we, uh, we, we, we come to the, the New Testament. If, if you turn your Bibles to, to Matthew 19, if you turn your Bibles to Matthew 19, um, just a quick summary in verse 4. Uh, there's some Pharisees that came to Jesus and and they're asking him legalistic questions. They're asking him questions to put him on the spot that they can nail him and they can discredit him. And, and so they, they ask him this question, you know, is it, is it okay for us to divorce? For us men to divorce the women any way we want to? If they displease us or is there, there more to it than that? So, you know, they're, 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 they're trying to get him in trouble, depending on how he answers. But in verse 4, he answered, and so we, we see here him validating the Creator's intent, the created purpose, the designer's intent, the designer's uh, uh, way of putting things together. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And so a, a massive call to a, the permanence of marriage. It's, it's, it's uh, expected that uh, in, by God's grace, by God's power, by uh, both people coming together, they will stay uh, in flesh. They'll be one organism now for the rest of their life in the sight of God. Uh, but uh, this, these two distinct people... You know, both male and female made in the image of God, but that the woman made in the image of God in a certain way that's distinct from the way man is made. But they're complementary, coming together as one as God has designed for the, for the creation of life. But this, this union, this, uh, this sexual union, it's, it's beautiful. But it's more than just this life. Uh, it's, it's more than just pleasure. It's more than just having babies. There's a bigger purpose to it. I, I, I ran out of time last week, and I, I wanted to continue on. 
with uh, this, these purposes, the, the unity of man and woman, the creation of life for the glory of God. Uh, the scriptures go much farther than we've gone thus far. Uh, if you turn in your Bibles to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. The Creator's intent, what is it? Uh, what, 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 what did He make marriage for? What, what did He make sex for? They go together. To what end? To what purpose? So he starts uh, in verse uh, 22 with, with roles, the woman's role, the man's role, as it pertains to uh, pointing to Christ and the church. Wives, submit to your, your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit, submit in everything to their husbands. So the, the, the picture is husbands and wives coming together, wives and husbands coming together. It's pointing to something greater than their marriage. But the roles they take on, the, the two becoming one, there, there's something that it's, it's picturing, it's, it's uh, pointing to. It moves on. Husbands, love your, love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her. That's what we celebrated at communion. Christ gave up his life for us, the bride, the church. He died for us so that we could be reconciled to God, so we could be forgiven our sins, so we could be redeemed, so we could be justified, so we could be part of His world, so we could be united to God. That He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the words, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. She might be holy and without blemish. Christ died to make us holy. Um, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. And there's some theological depth there. As, as we've been redeemed, as we've been justified, as, as we've been made alive, now we're a member of God in some sense, in some, in some uh, beyond words sense. We are united to God. One. In Christ, one as a body is one with its various parts. It, it's, it's stunning, the metaphors, it's stunning the analogies that, that, that are brought up in marriage. What, what's God doing? Why did he ordain marriage? Why did he ordain sex in marriage? Why did he create us, you know, he, he didn't have to make us be people that feel pleasure. He, he didn't have to make us people that fall in love. He didn't have to make us with sexual desires. He did, and it's good, but it's pointing to something greater. It fits into God's design, it fits to what God's trying to do, the vision that he had. Therefore, a man shall leave, he goes back to creation, he goes, Paul goes back to Genesis again. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So he's talking about marriage, but what is he talking about? This mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Uh, I read an author way back when that he said, like, if you ever go to a desert island or go to some uh, hidden place you've never been, there's, there's some mysteries to discover. When we talk about this verse, there's some mysteries to discover. There's, there's, there's some incredible things here. Uh, he's not talking about Jesus and the church to point to our marriage. He's not talking about um, Jesus and the church uh, to, to, to sum up your sexual union, you're your becoming one. 
He's saying our marriages, our sexuality, our capability of two diverse people that are distinct but complementary coming together as he's designed, it points to Jesus and his bride. It's, it's a pointer, a signpost, a, a declaration, a, hey, pay attention to this. Every marriage, every Christian marriage, every covenant connection, every covenant vow, every, every coming together in the name of Jesus Christ ultimately is to point to Christ and the church. And you start thinking about this and you start pondering it and you start talking about, thinking about uh, we're one with God and you start talking about the sexual union that God has put into place between a man and a woman, the intimacy, the, the joy, the possible joy, the possible intimacy, the possible pleasure. Everything becomes a signpost. The, the creation, the way that he's put us together as husband and wife with the potential, and it's, it's all meant to. He wrote Genesis. God, the Holy Spirit, through Moses, put these words into Genesis as a pointer to something great. And Paul, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, says the same thing, that it's all about Jesus and his bride. In other words, um, the church exists in, in some very practical ways to make disciples. To, as, as, as in the olden days, you know, like, to bring, bring forth images of God uh, through the sexual union, the procreation. Uh, we now spiritually, to bring forth images of God, as it were, Christians who reflect God and reflect His glory, reflect His honor, living out His character, His holiness, so that people will know Him and understand who He is and worship Him. Uh, this, this creation account, <clears throat> your marriage, or if you're single, your holiness outside of marriage, it all is used by God, or it's meant to be used by God to preach the gospel. It's all meant to point to God to say, this is a, sign, this is a beginning. Husband and wife coming together that, that bear fruit. Husband and wife coming together in love. Husband and wife becoming one. It's pointing to something grand and something glorious. The coming of Christ for His church. Um, what, what I'm saying is, is that my marriage is supposed to point to the marriage. The metaphor of marriage, what God has made, this, this two complementary but diverse coming together, Jesus, not like us, human, but not like us. There's no redundancy there. The, these two coming together, the church and Christ, ultimately one for eternity. Uh, Revelation talks about it like this, if you look at Revelation 19, verse 6. Uh, in, in Revelation 19, there's this uh, rejoicing in heaven going on, because Christ has won, Christ has come, Christ has conquered, Christ has overcome the world. And uh, there's many celebrations going on, but, but one in particular is the celebration of, of the coming of the King the coming of the groom for his bride. Then I heard what seemed like the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. 
For the marriage of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. Eternity, conceptually, what God has said about us and Him, He's put it in a way we can understand. He's saying that as the bride of Christ, we're going to come into a permanent relationship, a never-ending relationship. The bride and the groom will be one, and nothing can ever separate them. There's going to be an intimacy and a closeness that the relationships we have now are just a taste of, a point or two, an end. We will be with our God, and our God will be with us forever. Uh, there, there are several passages, uh, I don't know if you've noticed as you read through the Gospels, but this theme of a bridegroom, bridegroom keeps coming up. Jesus says, I'm the groom. Uh, there's, there's several passages you can write down. John chapter 3, verses 29 through 30. You can write down Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. There's several points where Jesus says, you know, I, I, I'm the groom, you know. They ask him about fasting, you know, and at one point he said, he said you know, hey, while the, while, the, while the groom's here, you know, you don't fast, you party, but once the groom is taken away, then you fast. So, so Jesus came as the groom, and, and the Messiah came the first time. But now he's gone away to prepare a place for us, in John 14. The idea of the groom going away to prepare a place for his bride, the church. And these bridegroom themes and these marriage themes keep coming up and coming up, and and it's like God's trying to tell us something. We think about eternity not just as us as individuals going to heaven and just enjoying things for ourselves, but He's made us a community. He's made us a people of His very own. He purchased us with His blood. He brought us to Himself. The, the atonement of Christ, the, the sacrifice, the, the, Him coming, taking on flesh, uh, becoming a perfect human, going to the cross, paying for our sins, redeeming us from sin and death and hell, turning us back to God, reconciling us to God. It's, it's a love story. It's a salvation story. It's a redemption story. It's a, it's a uh, forgiveness of sin story, but it's, it's a love story. The groom coming back for his bride. And so we, we look at that and, okay, wow, from beginning to end, there's this beautiful, wonderful, uh, at the beginning, there, there's, there's a talk of marriage. And at the end of the book, there's talk of marriage. And, and it's meant to, to call us forth to dream about it and, and plan for it and pray for it and try to bring others into the body of Christ so they'll be part of this union one day. I mean, one day we'll be with God. We'll be with Him forever. We'll see Him face to face. It's like looking into the eyes of God. It, it almost sounds like you know, too much, too, way too effeminate for us guys. But we'll be with God forever. The, the, all these themes, these human themes, these human emotions, these humans, one day we'll be there. Um, and so that, that's, that's where we start with the purposes of God for sex and sexuality, sexuality and marriage. But, uh, boy, the world doesn't see sex that way, do they? <laughs> they don't see marriage that way. And that, that's, that's what we need to talk about today. 
Uh, the, this, this, uh, the world, when they, when they look at sex, they, they don't see something grand. They don't see it as part of God's holy purposes. Like He designed it intentionally to bring people together to point to something greater, this union, this oneness, this bonding. The, the world, when, when you talk about sex, uh, there's a couple ways that the world looks at it now. It's almost been raised up to this idolatrous level of everything. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more next week. This, this way of thinking now that uh, to be a fulfilled human being, I have to be fulfilled sexually. And if anybody tries to pull away my sexuality, if anybody tries to, to mess with my desires and my wants, they're stepping on my rights, and they should be opposed. And uh, that's the way the world looks at the church right now in terms of uh, homosexuality or in terms of LGBTQ kind of plus things. That somehow uh, it's, it's this thing that is everything. My sexuality is my identity. My sexuality is who I am. And if anybody says that's not who I am, they, they're the enemy. They're hate. And so I'm going to talk about that next week and what it means for raising children and, and uh, walking with the Lord, helping them walk with the Lord in this new culture, in this new environment. But the other side of sex today is a, is a lot of people, maybe some of your peers, maybe the people you talk about, the way they talk about sex is, well, it's just for pleasure. It's just recreation. Uh, in, in the worldview, the naturalist worldview, is that there's no God that's overseeing it. There's no God that created it. It's just, just natural, man. It's just a bodily function. It's just something you do for enjoyment and pleasure. Maybe, maybe in a higher level you do it to show love to someone or to, to, you know, with your girlfriend or your boyfriend or even your, your spouse. You, know, you, you, you participate in sex for that. But it's just, it's just something that you enjoy, something that, that no one should limit. And, you know, it's private, and it's, it's whatever I want to do, and nobody can tell me otherwise. And so the, the world goes about sex that way. And, and, you know, sometimes the church follows, unfortunately. Sometimes the church, we fall into those patterns as well, as well the hookup culture, the, the it's just, just for me culture, the selfish culture, I, I deserve it, it whatever. Uh, the world's sexual ethics come down to it, it needs to be safe sex. The world's sexual ethics say it, you shouldn't hurt anybody. The world's sexual ethics say that it must be consensual, but then we see how the world lives. If you've seen that movie, Sound of Freedom, and you think about sexual trafficking and, and all the wickedness that goes on in our world today, you know, the world doesn't stop with its rules. It, it never stops with its ethics, with its morals, because uh, on the one hand, yeah, we, we should take care of people, but on the other hand, sex for the world becomes self-gratification. As long as it's about self-gratification and about me, 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 I am going to run over people. I am going to use people. I'm going to use people for my ends and my purposes and my desires. That's how sin works. Sin is selfish. Sin is self-gratification. Sin is all about me. So, you know, you take the, the world doesn't see God's design. It doesn't see God's purpose. The world doesn't see how God's put things together for a glorious outcome, for your good, for His glory, for the creation of life, for eternity. Uh, so we have to talk about how not to use sex. And some of this is dark, and some of this, it, it, it's, it's painful to even talk about. But we must go there to understand, again, the purpose of sex and, and the calling of God upon us as sexual people. Sex is not dirty. Sex is not wrong. Sex is not something that shouldn't be used, but it should be used in the right context. It should be used as the designers made it. Again, for our good and for His glory, for the sake of the world. 
Uh, so with that, let's go back to the, the, the Pentateuch. Let's go back to the Old Covenant. So go back to see what God's Word says about some of the things from, from the beginning. If you look at Exodus 20, go to the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20. Uh, this is uh, after God has redeemed Israel, how He's pulled them out of slavery, a paradigm of our salvation. He rescued them from, some, from slavery, from sin and death. He made them His people. I'll be your God, you shall be my people. He formed a covenant with them. And these are part of the covenant commandments. If you look at uh, verse, verse 14, uh, one of the startling things that uh, the world might not understand anymore because they're biblically illiterate is God says, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. Adultery is sexual relations be, if, if, with a married person or if you're married having sex with somebody that's, uh, that's not your spouse or is married to somebody else. You shall not commit adultery. And, and, one, and the commandment very related to that is, is verse 20. Or, or I'm sorry, uh, verse 17, the, the 10th commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that's your, neighbor, that's your neighbor's. Uh, the coveting thing is kind of strange for us. Why would I covet someone's ox? <laughs> right? Well, we turn everything, we, we have the potential as idol worshipers to turn everything into a commodity. We have the potential to turn everything into something that's useful for me. Okay, so we, we look at our neighbor's house, and man, I wish I could have her house. I wish I could have his house. Look at their car. I wish I could have his truck. I wish I could have his fishing pole, whatever. We're, we're idle factories. Man, we, anything we can turn. And so we covet. We, we lust after these things. And, we, 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 and, and the, the way the Bible talks about it, we become greedy for things. We become greedy for things. And the commandment that you shall not covet. You shall not covet you know, your neighbor's wife or husband or your friend's boyfriend or girlfriend or you shall not covet and it turns into all the ways that we are prone in our fallenness and our brokenness to look at people instead of seeing people as as worthy and valuable made in the image of God we start looking at people as commodities that we can use buy and sell and take for our own and so Jesus sums up these two commands uh, if you look at Matthew chapter 5 Matthew chapter 5, he, he sums it up in, in verse 27 and 28. And I don't know if you ever understood this or how these things come together, but uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Uh, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. So he's, he's talking to mostly Jewish people here. Yeah, we've heard that before. We know the commandment. Seventh commandment, yeah. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And, and that, you know, I'm sure it just blew him away. But you see how that, the tenth commandment comes in there. That once we start coveting, once we start using people with our minds and they become ours, that selfish gratification, uh, it becomes evil. Now, we are made sexual beings. We have sexual desires. And that's not wrong. That's how God's made us. But it becomes evil when we run with it and we act upon those thoughts and those desires, whether it be pornography or whether it be other means, modern means of, 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 of coveting, of greedily grasping what's not ours. Instead of trusting God for His good provision, it, it's, it's sin. And so how should we not be sexual we shouldn't be people that live in lust. We shouldn't be people that act on our lustful desires or our selfish desires. 
We shouldn't be, be people that act sexually outside of the context of marriage. Uh, and, and there's all kinds of uh, ramifications of that. You know, God created male and female to become one, and, and the, 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 the sex was given, the good created, God-given sexual nature, sexual desire, sexuality, meant to be in the context of marriage as part of His design for our benefit, for His glory. Once we step out of that, there's all kinds of consequences and all kinds of hurts and pains, not only for us, but for others, because we're working outside of the designer's design. And I, I want to take you to a place that um, maybe you've never read in Leviticus before, some of the holiness code, but we'll go there today, just because I want you to get your money's worth today. Just kidding. You can go home and say, oh, our preacher talked about Leviticus today. Wow. Leviticus 18. And, and you're going to be sorry that uh, we went there today, maybe. But maybe somebody needs to hear this. Leviticus 18, the word of the Lord. Verse 1. Uh, the context, I should tell you the context. Uh, the tabernacle's been made. Remember at the end of Exodus, God gave instructions for a tabernacle where he would come and dwell in their midst. When we get to Leviticus, he's dwelling in the tabernacle. The, the Shekinah came, the glory came. God is with his people. The beginning of a relationship that's meant to last forever. A physical stand on the earth, the temple. There's a temple at the end of the, of, of the universe. There's, there's a temple that's beginning of Genesis, the heaven and the earth, the male and female come, the binary come. There's this Eden-like temple, but God starts to make it physical and real with the tabernacle, pointing to something greater with his people. But never, he, he's with them, and, he, and the Lord spoke to Moses. So the holy ones come. The holy, how do you live in the presence of holy? Very carefully. And the, whole, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. I am Yahweh. This is his personal name. Back in Exodus, the Lord there, Yahweh, your God. So he's, he's making a personal connection. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt. Where, where are they going? They're going to Canaan. You shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan. To which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall, not, you shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. The, you know, there's 80 plus gods in Egypt. There's multitude of polytheism, different types of gods you know, being worshipped in Canaan. Don't live by their rules. Don't live by their man-made religions. Walk in my ways. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. In other words, man, you want peace, you want prosperity, walk in the covenant rules. At, at, uh, it, well, that, I, too much to say. Uh, so it, you, don't be like those people. Like they're, they're living in a variety of ways that are outside of the will of God. Hebrew ethics, Old Testament ethics, what is the will of God? Walk in it. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, Joshua said. The, the, what, what is the will of God? Learn it. Walk in it. And so you're going to land of Canaan. Those people are broken. Those people are living in ways that are evil. Uh, and they're living in sexual ways that are broken as well. Verse 6. Now, uh, these are some rules for how to be sexual, to not be sexual in the home. And you, you ask the question, why are these here? Because it was really happening. 
in Egypt and Canaan, and God's people could be influenced to act in these ways too. None of you shall approach any one of your close relatives to uncover nakedness, in other words, have sex with them. I am the Lord. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother. You shall, she is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not have sex with her. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife is your father's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your sister, your father's daughter, or your mother's daughter, whether they're brought up in a family or in another home. Uh, the, the relationship of the marriage and the, and the offspring, somehow in the Hebrew way of thinking, it's a dishonor to the father, dishonor to the home, dishonor to God. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your son's daughter, of your daughter's daughter, for the nakedness is your own nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, brought up in your father's family, since she is your sister. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister. She is your father's relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother. And you get the point. And it goes on. And these are a limited number of commands about incense, incense and about treating others wrong, about grasping a hold of what's evil. But the people were doing it. And maybe even in our culture, as we continue to slide downhill, maybe there will be a day where pedophilia becomes normalized. And God says, no, that's evil. There are boundaries to sex, and the boundary to sex starts, <laughs> ends with marriage. Everything outside of that is outside of the Creator's design. Well, if, if we continued on, we'd read more, but if you look at verse 19, um, out, you know, verse, verse 20, 19's part of that, that whole litany of things. Verse 20, outside of the home, how shall you live sexually, Israel, as you go to Canaan? The promised land. God's taken them to the promised land. How shall you live? How shall you not live? You shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife, and so make yourself unclean with her, so adultery. You shall not give your, any of your children to offer them to Molech, so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. So, so there was this, this, this religion in Canaan that they worshiped the god Molech, and, and they, they would, the fruit of their, their womb, uh, they, they would offer it to this god as a, as a sacrifice, a child sacrifice, to receive some benefit they thought from that god. That god would bless their crops, bless their business or whatever. It's, it's shocking to think that people would use children for their personal ends, that they would sacrifice children for their own benefit. Couldn't happen today, could it? So the evil that goes forth is, is just, for the fallen people from the fall of man is, is incredible. And he goes on, he says, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman, it's an abomination. Pretty straightforward talk about homosexuality. Uh, we'll probably talk a little bit more about that next week. But you can write down uh, different passages there. You can write down Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. Write down uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. You can write down, um, I think, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. If you want to research more on your own about what God says about homosexuality. Homosexual sex is wrong. It says here, you shall not lie with any animal and so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It's a perversion. Uh, it happens in our day. It's happened back then. And it's outside of God's boundary. It's outside of the designer's design. And it's evil. We shall not live that way. Uh, so he goes on from there and he says, uh, Do not make for yourselves, yourselves unclean by any of these things. 
For by these the nations I am driving out before you to become unclean. The land became unclean, so I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. Which is a very graphic picture, isn't it? Uh, of the land being so disgusted with sexual sin that it vomited it out. And, and yet God says, I'm taking you to a place where I'm going to run over, I'm going to destroy, I'm going to punish the Canaanites because they've lived in these ways. Uh, there's another place in Genesis, when the sin of the Midianites gets to a certain level, that's when I'm going to send you into the land. I'm sending you to the promised land as a judgment to them, but for a place to you, for you to abide and, and live in. And, and he warns them, don't be like those people. Because the same thing will happen to you. Sometimes we hear preachers saying, well, that tornado came because of, a, because of God's wrath, or that hurricane came, or you know, COVID came. And, and you, you can understand the, the understanding. You know, like we see in the Old Testament, sometimes famines came, and some drought, sometimes drought came, or different uh, natural, natural disasters came uh, from the hand of God as a judgment, as a punishment for the evil. And certainly it could happen today. Certainly it could happen to the United States of America. The, the issue, but, but unless God tells us, we don't know. Right? So, sometimes preachers jump to some conclusions that I don't think are warranted. God is sovereign. God is in control. He can do anything He wants, but I don't know if that tornado was an act of judgment until, unless He tells us. But certainly sexual sin will bring ruin sooner or later, whether through divine consequences or natural consequences. Uh, sexual sin leads to pregnancy out of wedlock, of course, a natural consequence. And the culture says, well, that's no big deal. We can just abort that baby. Sexual sin leads to SDIs, S sexual transmitted diseases. Well, we got medicine for that until you don't. Sexual sins leads to uh, husbands getting beat up by the husbands they, of the wives they slept with. There's natural consequences, but what about divine consequences? But God says, don't live that way. I want you to thrive. I want you to prosper. I want you to live well. In the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and believe it or not, I, I narrowed down my scripture uh, lessons today. If you look at, uh, I'll, I'll go to chapter 4, verses 3, uh, jump down to verse 3. Uh, Paul is talking to, if you remember in chapter 17 of Acts, as we went through our Acts sermon series, uh, he came to Thessalonica in, in chapter 17, and, and if you remember, he preached for three Sundays, and, and there was a, 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 some Jewish people from the synagogue that came to faith, that converted to Christ, but there was a whole bunch of Gentiles in the city of Thessalonica that came to Christ, and they started a church, and Paul told them how to live sexually, how to live financially, how to, how to live. He discipled them before he left, he and his companions, but now seems like they've fallen back into the old Greek ways. And what were the old Greek ways? What are the old American ways? Well, in the Greek, in the Greek, in the Greek society, in the Greek way of thinking, the guys, the patriarch you know, of the family, he had all kinds of freedoms, uh, and the women didn't have nearly as much freedom. But, but the idea, as, as a strong man, as an assertive man, you had a wife for having babies, you had a mistress 
for your companionship or your uh, intellectual discussions with the opposite sex. And then, of course, you had the prostitutes and the slaves if you were wealthy enough to have sex with any time you wanted to. And, and when, when the gospel came into the Greco-Roman cities and towns, it was a shocking thing where God called them to be moral sexually, not American morals or Greek morals or South Korean morals or, or Russian morals, but God's morals, God's way of living. And it blew them away. And, and if you read through the book of 1 Corinthians and, if, and 2 Corinthians and you read through Th- Thessalonians, they had, they had trouble falling into God's ways or walking God's ways. So Paul very graciously says, verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. God wants you holy in practice. He's already made you holy. When He justified you, you were declared righteous. You've been set apart. But now live in holiness. His heart for you is holiness, is for your sanctification sexually, that you abstain from sexual Immorality. The word there, porneia, it covers a whole broad range of, of all the fornication. Isn't that an old word we use? Fornicate. To fornicate. Uh, fornication is talking to single people. To say, if you're sleeping around, I know you love your boyfriend, I know you love your girlfriend, but that's called fornication. It's a sin. If you're cohabitating, if you're living with somebody outside of marriage, it's a sin. If, if, if you're living in any sexual pattern or any sexual practice with whoever you're sleeping with, male or female or whoever, outside of marriage, it's sexual immorality. So Paul lays, lays it down very, very strong and very clearly. God wants you to be about His heart. God wants you to be about His plan and His purpose. God wants you to walk in His ways, not in sexual immorality. God's will, verse 4, is that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Uh, The honor that we receive from Christ one day is the honor he's talking about. When God says, well done, live for that honor, live for that glory, not for selfishness or greed, not in wickedness and evil. Not, verse 5, in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God. Isn't it tragic these days when the church slouches towards Gomorrah, when the church lives as if the world is its, its, its paradigm, as if the world's ways is, is how, they're supposed to li- how we're supposed to live, when we start looking like the world, the picture that God wants to paint of a coming kingdom, the marriage metaphor that He's created, that He's put in creation with sex and all of its beauty and all of its holiness, the world misses out on the gospel, the world misses out on a pointer to truth and reality and God's plan for eternity when we fall into evil and brokenness. Heaven weeps. That no one, verse 6, transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, speaking of adultery, see some group or some of the part of the church has started to go back to the old ways because the Lord is an avenger in these things. We talked about natural consequences before. Paul, just like in Leviticus, talks about God's divine wrath upon sin. The Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. See, Paul came and he said, don't live in those ways. Don't live in those ways. Live in holiness. He's calling them to do it again because they're slow on the uptake. Let's not be slow on the uptake. 
Let's live in holiness and righteousness before our God. For God is not, verse 7, called us to impurity, but in holiness. Third time in that passage, sanctification and holiness. It's a big deal. In Leviticus 19, God said, Be holy, for I am holy. And in, verse, in, in Leviticus 20, he runs through all the different sexual incestual sins and all the broken sins, but then it, there he gives punishments. But God calls His people to be holy because we have made in the image of God to reflect Him, to be like Him. So the world will see when we're living holy, we're supposed to be pointers to Him, witnesses to Him. And if we become a sexually broken people, our witness suffers and people aren't pointed. I, I had a conversation just the other day with a woman who said, what, I asked her, why aren't you becoming a Christian? She says, well, I've seen people, uh, how they live, and they're hypocrites, and I don't think uh, that it must not be true if they're living in a hypocritical way. If they don't believe it, why should I believe it? So we're witnessing all the time, whether we say words or not, people are watching us. They're seeing our, our lives outside of the church. They're seeing our lives with, with those people in that place at that time. And if our... Sexual witness is broken. Our witness suffers. And God isn't worshipped as He should be. Therefore, verse 8, whoever disregards this, <laughs> disregards not man but God. Paul's saying, hey, I'm just the preacher. I'm just the, the guy passing out the word. I'm just the one telling you the truth. But if you disregard what I'm saying about holiness... It doesn't matter if you disregard me. You're disregarding God and His plan and His purposes. Repent. Turn back to the truth. Step into holiness. But you say, I can't. It's way too tempting. It's way too hard. It's way too difficult. But God says, whoever disregards this, disregards not man but God who gives you His Holy Spirit. In other words, Paul throws out something that we need to run down a little bit more. Not today, but He's giving you the Holy Spirit. God does not ask you to do anything you can't do. God gives you His Holy Spirit so that you'll walk in His ways. In other words, divine power in your life so that you can do what the divine wants you to do so that God's glorified and God's honored. You're not in this alone. You have God with you. Christian, you're not in this alone. You have a church with you. You have a community pulling for you that you can call at midnight and say, I need help. I want to honor God. We have everything we need for life and godliness. Let us be a people that live holy sexually to the glory and honor and praise of our Lord. I better stop there. <laughs> Would you please stand in the Lord's presence? God calls us to holiness. Let us be a holy people. Lord God, we thank you for your design. We thank you for what you've made of us. We thank you for your plans and your purposes for us. We thank you that you've redeemed us, that you've forgiven all of our sins in Jesus Christ. Once we were sexually immoral, once we were adulterers, once we were uh, pagan idol worshipers, once we were all broken, but you forgave us in Christ. You forgave us of our sins when we trusted in you. And so now we're new people. We give you praise, we give you honor. Thank you for forgiving us. 
Thank you for loving us. Thank you for receiving us. Thank you for making us yours. And now, Lord, may we, in all ways, live to your pleasure, live for your glory. And in this matter of sexuality and sex, where the world, their values, their, their desires, their, their preaching, it's like a tsunami sweeping over us, threatening us to take, take us away. Give us the grace to stand strong and to do your will. By the power of your Spirit, we shall. Bless us, Lord. Give us the grace to be your worshipers. And may you be glorified in our single life. May you be glorified in our married life. Now and forevermore, be glorified, Lord. And we look forward to that day of homecoming. We look forward to that day of the coming of the King. We look forward to that day of the bride meets the groom. The wedding of the Lamb when it comes. Bless us to give us hope to wait for that day, Lord, and joy as we anticipate it. Send us out now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.